Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This episode is brought to you by Green Skies Analytics, an audit analytics service provider that works with internal audit departments that have data analysts and are still frustrated with trying to make analytics actually work, aren't getting the expected ROI, who can't break through the communication barrier between the analysts and the audit team, and those that need experienced direction for an audit analytics strategy and process. Those that feel like they've wasted time and money on trainings, aren't getting the value they want, not prioritizing the highest risk areas for the organizations, or have projects that seemingly never get completed. Do you deal with any of that? If you do, go to the show notes of this episode and click the Green Skies Analytics link or go to greenskiesanalytics.com to schedule a call and understand how Green Skies Analytics makes analytics actually work for internal audit. Hello everyone and welcome to the Audit Podcast. A quick note before we jump into the topics of the day. Block your calendars October 11th and October 12th. Those two days we have the Audit Analytics Conference It's a virtual conference, so anyone around the world can attend. This year, we have over 16 presenters, and you can get up to 14 CPEs. These are practitioner-led, so no vendors, no consultants doing these sessions, no sales pitches, no scary stories of why you should be doing something. The, The mission for, the goal for each speaker is tell us how to do the thing that you're going to be speaking to. Um, link to register is in the show notes. So scroll down to the show notes, click on that link. Be sure to register again, October 11th and 12th. All right. Today on the show, we have Jamie Shine. Jamie is the corporate and IT audit manager at Quick Trip. She has also held multiple roles within the IA, uh, district representative, chapter officer, chapter board member, MC, speaker, pretty much everything that you can do within the IA as a volunteer. Jamie has done it. Jamie is also recognized by Richard Chambers, the former president and CEO of the IIA, as a thought leader in 2022, a Beacon Award winner. So this is a continuation of our series with those 2022 Beacon Award winners. So I thought a pretty appropriate question to kick things off was, hey, you're chosen as a Beacon Award winner as a thought leader within the internal audit profession. Why do you think that? So we hit on that. We also talk about the strengths that Jamie has and how she's using those strengths and how she leverages them while also recognize them as weaknesses, which is pretty interesting. Um, we also talk about there's a tool that you can use called Strength Finders. You can Google that, find the, the link for that and take the assessment. That's really where the conversation kind of started is, is off the recording. We were talking about Strength Finders. Um, so I don't know, it takes 30 ish minutes to do, and it gives you your five strengths and you can look at that and go, let me leverage these strengths, make sure that I'm using those, um, to the extent that I should. And then also, I think we both recognize Jamie and I, where our strengths can be our weaknesses. And so we talk about that in the show and how we can, um, try to mitigate that those areas where strengths are our weaknesses. But we also talk about relationship building. Um, I think Jamie is kind of a natural at it. So we ask her though, how she does it, especially as someone who is, and I quote, painfully shy. And if you know Jamie, if you've seen her on stage, especially when she told me that, I was like, you're dead wrong. But uh, she goes on to further explain why she is painfully shy and how she deals with that to still build relationships. 
And then we asked Jamie to give us a controversial take that she has on the audit profession. Here we go. All right, Jamie. Uh, so this is part of our Beacon Award winners series. Folks have been recognized by Richard Chambers as a thought leader. Why were you chosen? <laughs> Brag on yourself, maybe. <laughs> oh, no. You know, I think that I think I was chosen because, first of all, Richard's just incredibly gracious. I'm not sure who nominated me, but I'm really grateful to them. But what I think about what has led to this, I guess if you'd call it success, it hasn't been me being better or extraordinary. I certainly haven't come up with some, you know, groundbreaking audit methodology that has changed the way that the world does auditing or anything like that. I think I've just showed up and I've showed up over and over again. And I've continued to have great opportunities because of that. So when I say showed up, I think a lot of times people don't realize how powerful it is to just show up in your career, meaning volunteer, sign up for a committee. For me, I started volunteering with the IIA Tulsa chapter. And that was, gosh, I think 10 years ago now when I first came into internal audit, my boss said, Jamie, you want to be chapter secretary? And I was like, sure. Why would I not want to be chapter secretary? This looks great. And I think he thought I'd do it for like a year and then roll off, but I just kind of kept showing up and I worked hard. I got involved. I was excited. I loved what I was doing. And then that led to more opportunity that ended up leading to me becoming chapter president and then to me becoming a district representative. So in the end, supporting eight chapters for the IIA and being on a North American committee. And now I'm on a global committee with the IIA. And all of that was just because I, I showed up and I just kept working hard. And when I say working hard, not necessarily being smarter than anyone else, not doing things better, just showing up and doing the work and saying, hey, here I am, pick me. I'm I'm happy to volunteer. I'm happy to be involved. I had something similar when I was full-time employee and I realized I wasn't getting uh, talking really to the folks that I wanted to at a higher level um, and wanted more exposure with them. And so I went to my director and I was like, look, I'm not used to this. Like I'm used to being <laughs> able to basically talk to anyone short of maybe the C-suite in an organization. Uh, I was like, how can, how can I do that? What can I do to better do that? And she suggests, she's like, well, there's plenty of compliance committees and, you know, ran, you know, committees, um, that you can join. And so that's what I did. And before you know it, there were, you know, these directors that I would never have talked to otherwise and senior management and stuff. Is there anything like that internally at the organization that you've shown up for? Oh man, I think that's a great question. And I love that, that you had that experience. I think there have been some similar things here. Like I talked to my boss years ago and said, hey, I'd really like to get some leadership experience. Is there any way that you could get me on an internal committee? And my boss has been incredibly supportive on all of those. I've gotten to be on our United Way committee for a few years, and that's a lot of fun. I also talked to him years ago and said, hey, I want experience presenting to executives. How do we make that happen? And he said, well, let's let you come to the audit committee meeting once a year and present on our ERM work. And so I think you're exactly right. Sometimes Sometimes we can just show up, sometimes we can raise our hands, but sometimes we have to ask for those opportunities and say, hey, I'm interested. Is there any way that I can do this? I know for me, one of those things was getting involved with the IIA as a volunteer facilitator. I've discovered that I love training. Sometimes I love talking about audit as much as maybe even more than I love doing audit. I love developing new leaders. I love developing internal auditors. That's one of my passions. And I wanted to be a trainer or a facilitator for the IIA and I just kept submitting an application. And every year I got an email back saying, well, we're not taking on new traders this year. Hopefully in the future, keep applying every year. And I did. And then eventually they had 
a, a new training that I, I think they hadn't had one for a few years. And so it was so exciting to get to be in that room. And now I get to facilitate for the IIA, which I love doing. It's a huge passion. Um, so grateful that my, my company, my boss supports me in that. And that was also because just like you, I kind of raised my hand and said, hey, I'd love this opportunity. Is there any way that we can make this happen? The presenting to the executive and really just even asking your boss to like in include you in those types of things that you want to do is, I think, huge. It's something I struggled with yeah. was just asking at the beginning of my career because I was like, who am I to yeah. even ask for whatever it is? Even if it was just like yeah. an analytics tool, I was like, well, I can't really ask for that. That's X <laughs> amount of dollars. There's no way. And once I finally got over that, they're like, yeah, dude, that's nothing. Go ahead. Like, just buy it. <laughs> so I think nice. just asking is a really important trait. And as you're talking, I've never really thought about it from this perspective, but as you're talking, it started to click that whatever your career aspirations are within your organization or elsewhere. So for those that are like, I want to be a CAE one day or, or lead an, an audit department or something like that, knowing the skills that you have to have, like presenting to executives, if you already know what those are and like actually think about what those are and then go to your boss and go, even if, I don't know if I go in there and say, hey, I want your job one day. How can, you know, yeah. I don't know if I go that far, but to go, you know, hey, I need to be able to present to executives and to go to ask, like, can I do that? And even if you get shot down, cool, can I do, you know, if you're at whatever point in your career and you're not closing the audit down and doing the presentation for that, maybe you could do that a couple of years in advance to what the normal track is. So I think that's, uh, I really like that presenting to executive um, initiative that you had. So in doing that, what we're really doing is trying to build upon our weaknesses. So if we look at the opposite of that, let's talk about strengths. This is a conversation that we had off air and I thought it was really interesting, but I want you to, for the audience, talk about your strengths, talk about how you figured out those strengths and then kind of how you've applied them. Okay. Well, my organization uses Strength Finders, which is an assessment that you take that digs into your personality, your preferences, and then it spits out your top five strengths. You can get all of your strengths ranked in order, but we talk about our top five. And actually at our organization, there's a SharePoint site that you can go to and you can see anyone in the organization and what their top five strengths are. So I've had meetings with executives before where they were like, I looked up your top five strengths and I actually spun the meeting a little bit based on the way that you see the world. It's certainly helpful in understanding how we're different. And I think it's helpful in understanding ourselves a little bit better too. So as an example, my top strength is context. And when I got the report, I was like, context? That sounds so boring. Everybody yeah, else lame, said something way more exciting. Yeah. Super lame, yeah. Right? I wanted like strategic yeah. or like, the one I really want is woo, winning others over. I was like, I want to be that person. Yeah. Everyone who has woo is like a huge leader, success in the organization. I have context. But the more that I thought about it and read about it, I was like, that is so me. And it is probably my biggest strength as an auditor because everything's connected. And at my organization, we focus a lot on auditing processes looking at the way things that are really working well, things that aren't working as well, looking at communication throughout the organization, kind of the, the soft, squishy stuff. We look a lot at business process consulting. And so being able to understand the pain points of the groups I'm working with, being able to connect the dots between what they're telling me and what other groups have told me maybe 10 years ago, understanding systems that maybe we have in place in other areas of the organization, Really, that ability to connect the dots and see how everything is connected to everything else has probably led to the most meaningful audit recommendations that I've had. You know, that like when you would go for an interview, at least 15 years ago, 
I don't know how it is now, but they would typically it's, oh, what's your strength? And yeah. the way people were coached back then was like, hey, pick something or, or what's your weakness? Hey, pick something that's actually a strength and say that you do it so well. It's your, I'm a perfectionist. And because of that, I uh, spend too much time on projects or, you know, whatever it is. And you're like, okay, yeah. But I think that got figured out, you know, like everybody started to recognize that and go, all right, come up, do something better. Um, but how has your recognition of your strengths through strength finders made you go, oh, this is how it is a weakness. And have you adapted to that to any degree? Definitely. I think that a lot of times our biggest strengths are also our biggest weaknesses. Oh. So context, it's a great strength when I use it correctly, but it can also lead to me spinning sometimes or overanalyzing things what? or thinking, oh, well, this must be connected to this when maybe they're not really connected. And so I really have to keep it in check. Another one of my top strengths is competition. So I think it's pretty easy to understand how that could be a weakness. I love to win, which isn't a bad thing. I also do not like losing. And so I've had to be really careful to make sure that I'm always being a team player and that I'm not wanting to win at the expense of anyone else that I'm wanting our team to win. I'm wanting the company to win. I'm not wanting to get credit for something. And that can be hard, right? As auditors, we're going to get so much more buy-in for recommendations if we're not taking the credit for them. If we're helping our clients come up with ideas instead of trying to be this like superhero. And so yeah. I think it's important to, when we're thinking about our strengths, to also see the other side of every strength and realize it can be a weakness. Uh, another one of mine is positivity. And so I that can, see can be that. a great yeah, strength. That's, yeah, all right. I can see that. <laughs> that can be a weakness as well, though, because I yeah. tend to see the best in everyone. I sure. tend to see the best in every person and every process. And so I also have to make sure that I'm always looking at the other side of it and turning my analytical braid on. What about you? Yeah, it's a learner. So I've done it twice in either 10 or 15 years. And for the most part, they're the same. There's been some movement, but learner has always been number one or number two. Um, and that's usually in the the pure data people that I talk to. So the ones that are like, yeah. I mean, I've heard of internal audit, but I've never been part of it. The pure data analytics yeah. people, that's what a lot of them will say is a, a number one strength for a lot of them is learner because it changes of so I mean, every six months, at least there's something, a new technology or something, or we're upgrading to this thing or, you know, chat GPT and, and the like, and you have to like to learn. And that's yeah. my favorite um, time of year in college was what we called anyway, dead week. So it was the week before finals where professors were not allowed to give you homework, projects, papers. It was supposed to be, you just go to class. If you have questions yeah. about finals, you can ask them. But it's you just study, and I was always like, "Oh, I love this part. <laughs> That's really? my favorite part." Because I would just sit in my uh, room and just like study for five days straight, basically. Um, and oh. so I love doing that because that's you know I got to learn a ton by doing that. So learner's always been one, and then analytical has always been somewhere in the top five. And I feel like a lot of people go, "Well, your analytics, analytical—that's the same thing. That makes sense." And it's really not. Huh. Speaking of the weaknesses, that being a weakness, if you're over analytical and you can't make decisions, you, like you have to make a decision, whether it's the perfect decision or not, um, it's better to make a decision and move forward and see that it's wrong than it is to sit on it and kind of, you know, waffle on it, I guess. So I've noticed <laughs> in, in noticing that analytical is a quote strength of mine, I've noticed when I'm being too over analytical to just try to like yeah. stop and go, this is dumb, dude. Just, you know, 
make it blue. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be that the right shade. Just hit blue, you know? Um, oh, I'm the opposite of that. I have activator. And so for me, I'm like, of course, we're going to pick blue. Why would we like, let's just move on. <laughs> we made a decision. Let's just go with it. And so when people want to spend a lot of time analyzing everything, I'm like, let's just move. Like, why are we not making a decision here? Yeah. The other, uh, now that we're talking about this, there's a, some other kind of management technique and it's, uh, I think it's DISC, D-I-S-C for those that have taken that. And I forget what they all mean, to be honest, but uh, for the most part, there's kind of two groups of like, like you said, like, let's just make the decision and go. And, and yeah. a lot of times for those people, if you get on a call with them, it's kind of like, how was your weekend? Good. How was yours? Good. Sweet. What's the point of this call? And then you go as a, <laughs> Opposed to others where it's, how was your weekend? And they go, oh, two weeks ago, you know, it's kind of like for most people, probably those conversations they've had with their mom on the phone where it's 45 minutes. And at the end you go, yeah. what, what did that have to do with anything? So anyway, um, but I've noticed that I am, especially in a group, like you're the type of disc profile can change based on a situation. And mm, so if I'm in a yes. large group and there's people overanalyzing something that it'll start to bug me and I'll go doesn't matter. Just pick blue. Um, <laughs> but if it's myself, I might be the one that's overanalyzing that. So I think that's that's kind of interesting for those that haven't taken uh, DISC, D-I-S-C. I'm sure there's a free one you can do. And then Strength Finders is also free. If you Google it, there's some kind of third-party service or something. You can take it for free. I think it takes 20-ish minutes. Unless, I think that's how they determine if you're overanalytical. <laughs> like if it takes you 45 minutes... Minute? Because it's supposed to be like question, answer, question, answer. And if your question, let me think about where do, am I? And they're probably like, let's just stop this. You're, you're analytical. <laughs> All right. Well, what about, uh, it sounds like a lot of this probably helps in even how you develop relationships and the great relationships that you have with people. But how do you actually build relationships? I know off camera, again, you've, you've talked about your you're shy, which I think would surprise a lot of people. But um, if there's one overall takeaway from the, I think we're nearing 200 episodes. If we boil down like the the takeaway, it's the importance of relationships. So well, how do you build relationships? I think for me, it was learning to get out of my own way. That was the first starting point. I am painfully shy, something that people don't really realize about me. And so even though I'm extroverted, I love people, I often would get in my own way. And I was like, I had this idea that people thought of the auditor as, oh, the auditor, like, they're not going to want to get to know me. And once I got rid of that perception, I was able to realize, what can I bring to the table? So I think a lot of it is just shifting your mindset from, well, you know, do I really have anything to offer to saying, what can I bring to the table? What can I give? What value can I provide to this person in this relationship? And I think that that can be really helpful. Some of the tangible ways that we can build relationships as auditors, I think we have to get outside of our area. So a lot of times I've noticed auditors sometimes are have a tendency, not always, to stay in their own area, their own offices, their own cubes, and really mostly socialize with each other. And I think we have to avoid that trap. It can be hard in a large organization, but some of the ways that we can be intentional about it, we try to make sure that people from our audit department are always on committees that were volunteering. My boss, for example, is leading day of caring this year for the whole company. So he is very, very, uh, I guess, high profile in the organization. Yeah. Everyone knows who Kent is. He's visible and we're visible, not just doing audits. Because if people just see us when we're coming to audit them, 
What does that feel like? Yeah. I kind of liken it. I think everybody knows it's important when you show up for a meeting as an auditor. Like, don't be a jerk. Be nice. Ask about people. Get to know them. And I think overall, most people do a good job of that. But then outside of that, we sometimes do a terrible job building relationships when we're not doing an audit. And I think about friends that I've had who only show up when they need something from you. Okay. Well, I don't really think I have a great relationship with those so-called friends, right? I don't want to be that auditor. And so I think part of it is checking in when we're going down the hallways, making sure we're saying hi to everyone and that we're smiling, little things like that. It's about calling people out when they go above and beyond to help us. Something that I'll do sometimes is either post something on LinkedIn or I'll email, like if somebody really helps me out or just does a great job, I'll send an email or a team's message to their boss and just say, hey, wanted to let you know that so-and-so did a really great job. I was really impressed. And uh, thanks for all the help that they gave to me. And so that way they're they're not just seeing audit as an adversarial thing. We're building a relationship with them. Obviously, I, I don't do that all the time, you know, because then it would become meaningless. But yeah. when somebody really goes above and beyond scheduling lunches with people, trying to do it on a rotation, because let's be real, we all get so busy, we forget. And so the more that we can get calendar appointments set up, there are certain groups that I try to schedule syncs with. Like I meet with our GRC team once a quarter. And sometimes we talk about work try to talk about work but a lot of times we just talk about what's going on in our lives how we can support each other and i think that the more that we can engage in the culture of our organizations for example we try to make sure we go to as much as possible every retirement party every baby shower we're trying to go to year-end parties united way parties things like that that we're involved so that people see us outside of that context as someone who's painfully shy, that can be hard sometimes. I love groups of about six people. That is like my sweet spot. That's my comfort zone. Once you get into a group of 700 people at the corporate office in this big party, it can be hard for me. I tend to want to just go stand with the people that I know and talk to them. And so I've had to really challenge myself to, first of all, use those smaller parties as a practice ground, kind of a training ground. Okay, if I can go to this retirement party that has 50 people in it and I can go talk to everybody, then that's going to make it a lot easier for me when I go to this big party that has 700 people and want to talk to people who are outside of my group. So I try to think of it that way and just try to remember that everybody feels a little bit awkward at these events. And so it may feel awkward to me to go talk to people that I don't know or that I haven't seen since the last audit, but we all feel a little bit awkward. Yeah. And I, I think that I'm glad you wrapped it up with that. We all feel a little bit awkward, like everybody. There's very few people, even if maybe on the outside they appear like that, that are just like crazy comfortable with the 700 people. And it's, I think it's a great takeaway for people listening, especially those that know you, um, because you are an extrovert, like you said. And I forget, yeah. what was the strength that wasn't um, like great attitude or something? What was it? Personality? Positivity, maybe? Positivity, or... yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so that plus positivity plus... I know you've been on stage in front of hundreds of people <laughs> before. And so likely from the outside looking in, people would go, and I just, you know, if I was just born with the the same brain as Jamie, this would be super easy for me. And I would, you know, I wouldn't be nervous or uh, whatever the, the feeling is that people have amongst, you know, 700 people or whatever. So I think it's a good takeaway yeah. for every, for people to know, like, pretty much everybody feels the same way. And so if you know that going into yeah. that situation, it makes it a little easier, I think. What do you think? Oh, definitely. I think it's, it's helpful to realize we all feel a little awkward and all of us probably struggle with feeling a little bit shy sometimes. Something that I did, and it was kind of groundbreaking for me, it's going to sound kind of silly, but we have a big cafe area in our office. 
And so one day I just went down there with my laptop and I had, you know, something that I was drinking, like a soda or something, and started saying hi to people as they were walking by. And obviously I was working, so I wasn't like, you know, doing the the beauty queen wave or anything, but I was just kind of being a little bit more intentional. And it was surprising to me how not awkward that felt. And I realized that sometimes one of my traps is that I can get so isolated in my office that I don't always do a good job of just going out in our organization. We're all in person. And so, and we have one corporate office. And so sure, we have people in our divisions, but most of our corporate employees are here. And it's really easy for me to walk around a little bit more, say hi to people, and yet often I, I don't remember to do it. And so there's just little things that we can do that can make a difference. I would like to hear from, I'll refer to you as the queen of positivity now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's, a, what's a controversial take that you have on the profession, oh. even, even though you are as positive as you are about everything? Interesting. So, okay, hopefully I don't get, get kicked out of lose my CIA or something for this. Okay. But something that I was thinking about, I was in Amsterdam recently for the IAS Global Assembly, which I got to MC and committee meetings. And something that I noticed is with everybody there, I don't want to say everybody, most people in Amsterdam ride a bike. That's their main form of transportation. And they're really good at it. But something that I noticed is that Safety was way different in Amsterdam than it is in the United States. Like, I've watched my friends who have little kids, you know, bundle their kids up, try to get them into the car seat. Like, it must be perfect. And I mm. feel like even you see on Facebook, like, the mom shaming of, oh, my gosh, did you see that the clip was, like, one centimeter in the wrong direction? What is that mom thinking? There's there's a lot of pressure around safety and over control. And I noticed that there were little children, like, under the age of two, and they're just sitting on the back of the bike. In like a little seat with maybe some straps that they could totally have gotten out of. No one was worried about it. And it seems like bike laws there, like bikes can kind of do whatever it seems, but they don't have accidents the way that we do here. It seemed like overall there were fewer accidents and yet it seemed like there were far fewer controls, they a lot less safety. And we actually asked a local about it, about the bikes. And they said, oh, yeah, we don't worry about it. They also don't wear helmets when they ride bikes there. They're riding, like, in traffic. And so the local said, oh, yeah, well, we train our children from a very young age, from, like, babies almost, to ride a bike. And so we have very few accidents here because they just grow up knowing how to ride a bike and understanding the traffic rules. And I thought that was really interesting because I think that sometimes we can over-control. And sometimes when people think of internal auditors, they think about the people who are going to add a whole bunch of administrative red tape to our processes. Now, I do believe internal controls are important. I do believe that we want to have segregation of duties where possible. Obviously, I'm not saying we go crazy, but sometimes we over control things. If we had so much administrative red tape to processes, and sure, that makes us safer, but it also gets in the way of achieving our strategic objectives, right? If we're adding so much red tape, it also can make people really unhappy and they feel they're not trusted. So in some cases, maybe we need to add more trust to employees and we need to empower them to make decisions, hold them accountable, sure, but empower them to make decisions and train them from the very beginning in what's expected of them and maybe we'll have a better outcome. You must think it's a conversation with management about, hey, I know we're audit, we're saying this is the thing and this is the problem and this is, you know, fix it yeah. or else almost, but... <laughs> Talking to them and being like, hey, you're the experts on this. You understand 
to the degree that this is going to mitigate this to risk? Like, do you agree with this? Or because I don't, I know I never had that conversation of, you know, you don't have to do this. Like, you can accept the risk, you know? Yeah. Do you almost think we should bake that into as part of the conversation and let them know? Oh, yeah. Like, you can accept the risk if, you know, uh, that's probably not an easy conversation if they, depending on the pushback and, and all that kind of, um, all that kind of jazz. But what do you think about that? We have that conversation as part of every audit. Nice. Every, every time we have a recommendation, we definitely talk to them about, do you agree with this? What do you think the risk is? And if a risk is above our risk appetite, then we're going to call it out in an audit report for sure. But we definitely try to make sure that they understand you can say no, or you may have a better idea. A lot of times I may have an idea for how we can mitigate a risk. They may have a better idea yeah. because they understand the processes. They understand their people. So we try to make sure that audit is never this authoritarian thou shalt, thou must. You know, we're always engaging in a conversation with them saying, hey, we noticed this risk. Are we missing anything? And then here are some ideas we have. But what do you think the best solution is for it? We always try to engage a conversation about risk appetite. Thankfully, we're very involved in our ERM process, and so we have a pretty good understanding of what our risk appetites are for different areas. So I think that's really helpful in guiding that conversation. And even the way that we describe our audit recommendations by categories, we have categories of audit recommendations that are based on just efficiencies or where we say, yeah, we're within our risk appetite here. This is just a way to improve your current controls. And so that's kind of a way that we've gotten more buy-in there. But at the end of the day, yeah, management gets to choose within within the risk appetite that's been accepted by the board. They get to choose whether yeah. or not to implement an audit recommendation. They get to choose whether or not to accept a risk. So I 100% agree, Trent. I can 100% agree why Richard chose you to be a thought leader from 2022. <laughs> Uh, well, based on the conversation that we've had and the ones we've had in the past. So with that said, is there any thought leadership or anything else that you want to leave the yeah. audience with as we wrap up? Well, I think, first of all, we have to remind everyone that you are also a Beacon Award winner. So congratulations to you as well. You're going to have to interview yourself soon. Thank you. Oh, I've done that before. Nice. <laughs> I'll send you the <laughs> link. We'll put it in the show notes also. I did interview myself one time. Nice. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to watch that one. Yep. I think I would just leave the audience with always asking, what does it matter? Does this really matter? I think sometimes as auditors, we can get so caught up in, well, they violated that policy or, oh, well, there's this one little thing, but does it matter? And if it matters, yeah, let's pay attention to it, but does it matter? And not just when it comes to our audits, but our organizations, why does what they do matter? I think I'd have a really hard time working for an organization where I didn't believe in the mission. And so I think always asking yourself, first of all, what I'm looking at, does this finding matter? And then does what I'm doing as an auditor matter? And then does what my organization is doing, does that matter? I think that can really help guide us. I think sometimes we get so caught up in the weeds, but at the end of the day, does it matter? Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from The Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.